0: Brittany Hodak is a popular keynote speaker and award-winning entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of the Superfan Company, a company that creates more loyal customers by harnessing the power of fandom. She spearheaded initiatives for Walmart, Katy Perry, Unilever, Amazon, Taylor Swift, Johnson & Johnson, just to name a few. She's spoken to tens of thousands of professionals across the country, is a regular contributor to Forbes, Adweek, and Success, and has published more than 350 articles in outlets, including Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and Huffington Post. She appeared in ABC's hit show, Shark Tank, where she and her co-founder received offers from four sharks. And now she's on Pivot Me. Straight from the boardroom to the microphone, I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. Helping good people become even better this is pivot me so my husband's like she's not a puppy anymore i i expect better from her i'm like the vet said she's technically a puppy until 2 so we're in the same situation.
1: Well, I wish I could tell you it magically gets better at one or two. And it, it like it's it gets a little better, but we mm-hmm. I mean we have two big dogs and so they're both like pretty destructive when they choose to be disruptive.
0: Yeah. You know, my friend always says she's our dog's vet and a good friend. And she always says, A tired dog is a good dog. And so she reminds me that if she's acting up, it's because we didn't exercise her. She's like, it's on you to make sure the dog's getting exercise. And I'm like, she has a big backyard, but she doesn't want to play unless someone's out there playing with her. Yeah. That's the benefit, I guess, of having two dogs though.
1: Well, I was going to say, do not fall for that trick. So that's how we got the second dog because we got <laughs> Bear, the first one, when I was pregnant and I was so sick. And all of my friends were like, you've got to get your puppy a puppy. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. And they were like, no, two dogs is way easier than one dog. And we also, we have a giant backyard. And so they were like, yeah, just get another puppy. And we were like, okay. So we got a second dog. We should have gotten an older dog, but we got one that was like the same age, like within a couple of weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. Because they're both just like mutt rescues. And so now we have two giant dogs. (laughs) Um, because they were both just mutts. So we had no idea how big they were going to get or how old they were like exactly when we got them. So, but do not fall for it. When people tell you it is easier to have two dogs, it is not easier to have two dogs. Oh, that is good to know. I mean, it is nice that they'll like play together and stuff, but then you just have like twice as many walks to do and twice as many like giving them their heartworm and their flea tick and taking them to get their nails trimmed and groomed and like no it is it is exactly twice as much work to have two dogs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were a co-founder of the SuperFan company, a multimillion dollar fan engagement agency that created successful campaigns and products for brands including Walmart and Disney and Amazon, Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, Boston Red Sox, all these big things. And then you did a pretty significant change. Can you tell us about that change and then what led to that change?
1: Yeah. So I pivoted away from my agency to focus on keynote speaking. And that was a huge change. And, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through a lot of different iterations of their business. And uh, at least for me, when I started the company, it was a little bit of, you know, let's chase all the dollars, let's chase all the clients, let's figure out what we can do. And, so early on in the life cycle of our business, people would say, can you do this? Can you do this? And the answer was always yes. It was like, oh, of course we can help you with this. Oh, of course we can do that. Of course we can do that. And so that led to a lot of consulting projects. So in addition to the like product-based business that we were running where we were essentially a creative agency, there was a lot of consulting. And that consulting led to more and more speaking, where I was being asked to come appear at some really big events and, and some really great conferences. And I was doing it really as like a biz dev thing. And And from that, I started to get more and more requests to do highly paid speaking engagements. And I was like, wow, I I really... I really like this. And I started meeting people who were, who were speaking as their focus. And I think kind of a big aha moment for me was when a very popular, very highly paid keynote speaker said to me that he gives the exact same speech every time. And I was like, what do you mean? Every time I go somewhere, I'm, I'm like writing a new speech from scratch. And he was like, no, you come up with it, your keynote and it's maybe 85% or 90% the same and you customize it a little bit. And I was like, wait, you get paid all of this money to go give like the same, same speech over and over and over again. How do I sign up for that plan? And so it was really just, you know, after I, after I'd, given a few speeches looking at the reality of my time and I felt like I was sort of a professional dabbler like I was you know trying to run my company I was trying to do all these consulting projects as part of the company I was on this constant like new business hamster wheel of trying to bring in new clients and create new opportunities for the agency and then I was also doing the speaking thing and when I looked at sort of the the ROI based on by hour and how how I was going to be able to create the most income in the least amount of time away from my young son and my husband, it just became really obvious that speaking was a much better path for me personally than to continue to run a multi-person, multi-state agency.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you have, um, I mean, that it's a, it's a shift from what you were doing before. I mean, one-on-one consulting or one-to-group consulting um, is a lot different than being up on stage. Did you have formal speaking training? Did you find that you were a naturally gifted speaker? It sounds like kind of pragmatically, you decided that keynote speaking was the path for you going forward. But how how was that process?
1: You know, I had never really considered speaking as a career because I never really knew that was something people could do, which is funny because it kind of mirrors the fact that, you know, when i was twenty six years old and decided to launch the company, I, I'd never thought about being an entrepreneur before. I literally googled how to start a business. Like that was how I started my company. And that was because for five years after I graduated, I'd been trying to institute this idea that I had for a deluxe repackage idea for um people in the entertainment industry. So the idea of Nobody wants to buy physical music or physical... DVDs because there's no added value, like you're not getting anything better than you could just stream online. So why don't we merchify it, like the merchification of music so that there's a collectible, tangible thing that sort of cements your fandom. So what we started doing was um, creating all this amazing original editorial content and all these cool little merchandise items and packaging them together with artist albums to be like the super fan edition of an album. And so we worked with some of the biggest celebrities in the world. And so when I had this idea in my mind, I I was trying to sell it. Into to the companies where I worked at the time with very little success, um, I became very frustrated. And I'd mentioned it to my friend who was a buyer at Walmart. And I said, "I know this would work. This would be such a great product for you guys. I'm gonna try for now the second time to change jobs and go to a company and see if I can can make this happen." And my friend said, "You know, I know this is your idea. This is your baby. You've been talking to me about this for years. You've already changed jobs once to try to make this happen." Just go start your own business and I'll support you. And I was like, What do you mean start my own business? And she said, You know, all you need is a vendor number. I'm happy to give you a vendor number. If you can go find a record company or a movie studio who will take a chance and be your first client, I'll let you try this in our stores. And if it's successful, I'll make all the introductions that you need to keep doing this because this would be a big win for Walmart and Walmart shoppers if we were able to offer this exclusive product that none of our competitors had. And so, I'd never thought about starting a business. And, you know, I kind of said, okay, like that's something I'd never even considered before. I just sort of thought... You needed to work at a big company to do big things. And I think one of the best things about the shift in media over the past 10 years is now people are talking about entrepreneurship. People are talking about these crazy stories of people going out on their own and taking chances and starting their own businesses. But even as recently as 10 years ago, like that wasn't a conversation, that wasn't the culture. I literally Googled how to start a business, as I said, and was like, oh, like this doesn't sound so hard. I think I could do this. I had no idea the odds were totally stacked me I had no idea how many small businesses failed and it was just one of those things that you know I think ignorance was bliss to to a certain extent and you know I was a 26 year old without a mortgage and without a family and I said okay like I'll, I'll take a risk I'll try this let me just start and see what happens and if I fail I can always go do something else and I think the jump from entrepreneur to speaker was was very similar like I just sort of never, considered a career as a keynote speaker. And after I started getting feedback from a lot of people saying, wow, you're really great at this. And wow, we really love your message. And we think you should do this full time. I started kind of looking into it. And you know, looking back on my past, know there I had no formal training, but I always loved speaking. When I was in junior high and high school, I was always on the speech and debate teams. Like I I was always winning state contests for my original oratories and things like that in, in speech and debate. So, you know, I always loved to be on stage. I always loved doing plays and I I was always the person like in a group project in college where somebody had to go up and give the presentation. I was always the one who was like, oh yeah, I'll do that. That'll be fun. And, And people always wanted me to because they were like, oh, you're funny and engaging and whatever. So I think kind of in hindsight, there were a lot of things that were pointing to this being a really good career path for me, but because nobody ever like showed me a list of, of, you know, 20 occupations on a piece of paper and said, choose one. And one of them said, keynote speaker. It was honestly something that had just never been in my consideration set until the universe sort of like knocked me over the head with it.
0: Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you had to be open to it too. Like even whether someone's suggesting it as a path or you're sitting there going, Hmm, this makes sense from a logistics standpoint or, or the opportunities it's going to present me with, or my schedule freedom, but you had to be open to it first, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think that's so true of so many things in life. And I'm a big believer in like the right things happening at the right time. And perhaps if I had tried to do this two years earlier or five years earlier, you know, would have been a huge disaster or something. But um, it's I, I, I've been incredibly fortunate. I, I exited my my agency earlier this year, which was certainly a big shift. I mean, it felt in a lot of ways like you know, like a divorce or a death or something like where this thing that's been a huge part of, you know, in my case, it was a huge part of my life for for a decade. This was something that it was like a baby that I built from the ground up. And, and you know, I kind of felt like I was abandoning it. But it, it was one of those things where i had to look at it and say you know this is this is the right thing for everyone involved this is the right decision for me for my family for my employees for the clients of the business if i'm not able to commit to something 100% you know it's like being in a relationship like if you fall out of love with the person that you're with you're not doing anyone a service to stay in that relationship if everyone else could be better after you know the hard painful thing of like ripping off the bandaid and and making the difficult decisions so that was you know towards the end of last year really looking in the mirror like, I'm not happy. I'm doing too many things. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do too many different things at the same time. And everything is suffering. I've got to figure out what I want my life to look like in a year and three years and five years and 10 years and figure out the path to get there. And if it means making some hard decisions now, that's all going to be worth it when I get to the life that I want to lead. And I think that's something that, you know, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs over the past year who've sort of said like, Wow, I'm I sort of envy the fact that you left your business. Like that's, you know, I've been trying to figure out the best path to exit or the best way to to, to do something else. And to be able to leave and to be able to have it basically still run itself with um, the employees in place that were doing it was sort of like the even though it sort of sucked in the short term and it felt like I was, you know, like abandoning this baby that I had, I had to take myself out of the equation and say, like, okay. In the long term, this is best for everybody, including me. And in the short term, this is going to work out really well for everyone with the exclusion of me. And like, that's okay. Like, that's, you know, I'm willing to like kind of take a hit short term because I know in the long term, this is the right thing to do. Thank you for that. That was a
0: great answer. Did you struggle with, I've seen in the past, business owners, one of the things that they hadn't accounted for, but what really made that transition difficult was identity. Did you struggle with identity after building a company and being this person that is associated with Superfan and the notoriety of uh, you know articles and video and shark tank and all that stuff? Did you struggle with the identity piece of switching away from that?
1: You know, I think I probably would have a couple of years ago and I didn't as much because and I really think the thing that helped more than anything was in 2016 I became a mom. And I started to see my identity kind of shift a little bit between entrepreneur and like wife and mom. And I realized how much of my identity had been tied up in this business. And, you know, there's nothing like having a tiny little helpless human that depends on you for absolutely everything to sort of remind you how unimportant <laughs> everything else is. And, yeah. you know, I think I I sort of started identifying less by the success of my company. And um, a friend of mine left a very... Big prominent management company to to start his own company and and he and I were talking and he was he kept saying like well what if I fail what if, what if this doesn't work out like what if it crashes and burns and I said you know so what like so what you're taken care of you've got the financial thing figured out not a single person who loves you is going to think any more or any less of you because you succeed or fail like none of your friends none of your family members care other than of course wanting the best for you because they love you. Nobody nobody is going to like love you more because you're a giant success or love you less because this doesn't work because to the people who actually matter, your success has nothing to do with your identity. Mm. And it was sort of through having that conversation with him where I was like, "Oh, maybe I should be saying this to myself like my, yeah, this nobody like n- anyone who is going to judge me based on what I'm doing." is not someone who's likely to matter in my life long-term because these are people who are, who are looking at sort of the, the surface rather than the inside. And it was sort of that, that realization of, you know, this matters a whole lot to me, but probably not as much as I think to anyone else. And I think a lot of us all sort of, um, think people care a little bit more about us than they do just in general, right? Like we're always like, oh, people are going to be thinking about this or judging that. But the reality is like, we are all the star of our own reality show. Like everyone is much more concerned about themselves than than anyone around them or anyone who's coming into their their orbit in any way. So I think that, you know, that was part of it. And then the, the last part, a, a mentor said to me, you know, I was like, I've been working on this for almost a decade. Like this has been all I've been doing. Like this has been my life, my baby, like my my life's work for all of these years. And here I am like 35 years old. Do I want to just walk away from all of it? And, and she kind of laughed and she was like, Brittany, it's sweet that you think 35 is like an important number that's going to define your career. Like it seems like a lot to you now because you've been doing it. But when you're my age, and she's probably like in her early 50s, she was like, when you're my age, do you really think that like, the best highlights of your career are going to be the things that you did in the first 10 or 15 years out of college. Like absolutely not. Mm. She was like all of the, your greatest accomplishments, the great things that you're going to do are in front of you, not behind you. And while you have had a lot of successes and a lot of wins to keep, doing something just because it's been successful thus far is a way to sort of sabotage your late thirties and your forties and and your fifties because you're just closing the door on so many opportunities. And I was like, wow, that's a really good way to look at it. And that sort of also helped me become more comfortable with this idea of moving beyond the known into the unknown.
0: Mm, That's good advice. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot is um, high performance habits, things that position people for success. For many people, it's a morning routine or it's a certain set of things that they do that just helps them win their day. Do you follow any routines like that? Have any habits
1: like that? You know, I don't. I, I don't. I would, I, I would. And honestly, that's one of those things that I feel like people are wired so differently. And I've always been such a creative person that Like I don't I don't do checklists, I don't write a lot of things down. And I've tried over the years and I've tried to force myself to become like a list maker and, you know, like somebody who's gonna say, Okay, these are my you know, let me like do the vision board or let me do the whatever. And that's just never really been Part of the way that I thrive, and what I've found is since I've stopped like trying to force myself to do that, I've become I've become a lot happier. I've I've become a lot, you know, like I don't have that guilt of like, oh man, it's been a week since I made a to do list or whatever. Um, But the one thing that I am a big fan of is every month I set at least one goal for myself for that month and then can check back over the progress of the month because I feel like a lot of times it just feels so overwhelming when you're trying to do 30 things at a time and you've got an endless to-do list. So for me to orient myself and say, okay, what's the one big thing I have to do this month and making sure that one big thing gets done. Mm. Or if it doesn't, it's because I'm making the conscious decision to work on something else at the exclusion of that one big goal. So for me, that's the, you know, one big goal. And then over the course of a year or several years, like if you can, if you can do one amazing thing every month, you're going to, you're going to have pretty good years.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in your, in your career already, you've enjoyed a lot of success. What do you think has been key components to that? Is it, is it networking? Is it drive? Is it what do you attribute some of that success to? You know, I think
1: being really stubborn is probably probably something that's been really helpful just not taking no for an answer and being really creative about like asking for new ways to try to get people to say yes and I think one of the one of the biggest takeaways from running sales for for a startup for you know almost a decade and and doing millions of dollars of revenue every year was that you've got to get comfortable with rejection and you've got to get comfortable with trying to find new ways to get people who've told you no to tell you yes. And I think if you can do that, like a lot of times it's sort of just like the most tenacious person wins. You sort of like wear people down as, you know, as, as silly as that sounds. It's, I think a lot of times in business kind of re- the reality is, you know, the the most persistent person wins.
0: Yeah. I guess the step before that is that you've got to be really clear on what your goal is.
1: Absolutely, I'm just thinking
0: about that. Yeah. Like have real clarity on the goal so that it's like, all right, whatever roadblock comes in my way, I've got to knock them out of the way. The most persistent person ones, I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and one thing, you, you know, you you had referenced earlier before we started recording, you read something that I wrote on LinkedIn recently, which was the one thing I wish I had learned sooner. And, you know, the one thing I wish I had learned sooner is that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it. And it's okay to say no to things that you don't want to do, or that don't align with where you're trying to go. And when I, you know, kind of like took that hard look in the mirror and said, what is it that I want to be remembered for? What is it that I want to be spending my life doing with the limited time that I have on this earth? And with the time that is away from my family. Like that's the most precious time, right? Is the time that you're at work because you're away from the people that you love. Like, what is it that I want to be doing to make it worthwhile? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was coming to the realization of like, I want to pick one thing and be really great at it because I felt like a professional dabbler for a while. I was, you know, I kind of had that like shiny object syndrome that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, especially get, probably a, a lot of people, but especially entrepreneurs where it's like, let me chase the next big opportunity. Let me say yes to the next cool thing all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're working on 19 different projects at the same time so for me it was saying you know what i'm going to pick one thing that i have the opportunity to make a ton of impact and just focus on that one thing how do i become the best in the world at that rather than like the world's best utility person who has 15 different jobs
0: yeah the world's best swiss army knife exactly. of the professional world we've created a free guide four simple steps to getting more done in less time. In these short videos, I quickly show you the four main steps to productivity, to getting more done, the right things done, but in less time. To download your free copy and have it in your inbox ASAP, go to pivot-me.com. Get the four simple steps to getting more done in less time. Join us now at pivot-me.com backslash multiply me You know one thing I realize is we haven't actually talked about what your message is like what you what your keynote's about like what do you what do you actually
1: talk about in your keynote Tell us your message. So I talk about the idea of super fandom. And to me, a super fan is a customer who over-indexes in their affinity for your product or service, which makes them that much more likely to advocate on your behalf as part of their everyday life. So a shorter way to say that is super fans are customers that create more customers. And that's, I know, from, from doing sales for a decade, like those were the kind of customers I wanted, right? The ones who were creating referrals for me on a regular basis without me even Asking them, just people who were out there being advocates because they loved what we were doing so much. And so I've spent almost my entire career in the entertainment industry, um, start, starting with my very first job as a radio station mascot when I was 16 years old. Um, I've sort of always worked with entertainers uh, uh, of some kind. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some of the biggest brands and recording artists and athletes in the world. And I was always fascinated by their ability to connect with their fans. And almost without exclusion, the biggest artists and celebrities on the planet are the ones that are the best at connecting with their fans. And so what I started to think about was... How, why are some people so much better at this than others is it something that they're born with is it something that they're just you they've got a better business plan is it something that they're just allocating more time to this and how transferable is this beyond the world of celebrity and into the world of products and brands and so as i started doing more consulting i started to realize that the exact same things that were making people fans of a recording artist we're making people fans of a product or a service or a brand. So I really started to become obsessed with this idea, right? Like what are the the psychographic markers that make somebody more likely to be a fan? What are these things? And so what I realized is that what you've really got to do to create super fans, to create these customers who create more customers for you, you've got to connect your story to their story in a very powerful way. And there's a couple of important components to that, right? Like part number one is understanding what your story is. And I'm always shocked at how many brands and how many business leaders out there can't succinctly tell me why they are the very best in the world at what they do for their customers. Mm. And if you can't, if you're an entrepreneur right now who's leading a business that can't tell me instantly why you are better than your competitors, then as a customer, what's, what's my assumption going to be that you must not be right? Like you must mm-hmm. not be better than your competitors, or you would be able to tell me why that you, why you are. And if you can't tell me why you are, well, maybe I should be talking to them because maybe they could tell me why they're better than you. So it's mm-hmm. understanding your story, understanding your secret sauce that gives you a competitive edge over everybody else in the world. What is it? How do you succinctly tell that to people in a way that matters? So the next question then becomes, how do you make it matter to them? Right? So it's understanding the stories of your customers, whether you're in a B2B business or a B2C business. Every single one of your customers is coming from a different place. I said before, we're all like the, the stars of our own lives, right? Like people don't want you to come into their life and be the star product or service or, you know, subscription model or whatever it is that you're doing. They, they want supporting cast right? Like they want people to help them where they're at. So you've got to understand the story of your prospective customers to best know how to integrate your story into their life, to know how to connect your story to theirs. So the first part is getting super clear on what makes you the best in the world. The second part is learning how to listen and understand and recognize the things that you're looking for in your potential customers to get to the magic, which is that overlap. So where your story and theirs intersect that's the sweet spot. That's the magic where super fandom starts to happen. So that's what I talk about in my keynotes and in my workshops is, is the how you do this and helping people discover not only what their uniquenesses are, but also how they can put them into play to really begin to change the lives of the customers they're working with. Because ultimately, like if you're not making your customers' lives better, what are you doing? Like why, why are why are you in the business you're in if you're not making someone's lives better through your product or service?
0: Mm. Hmm. That's good. Oh, that's good. And I could see how relevant this is for businesses and for brands, even personal brands. Like why, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how applicable this is for so many people. It's not just about developing a great product or service. It's also the story we tell around it. And to your point, how we connect with those people um, and also making the people the story the hero, not us, right? We're yeah, supposed. <laughs> I like that when you said supporting role, you're the supporting role, they're the star.
1: Yeah, it's got to be a supporting role. And you know, the other really important thing about it is if you want referrals and recommendations, which pretty much everyone should, right? Especially when it's coming from an existing customer, because they're going to be the ones best qualified to bring people who are, are more likely to be good customers for you. It's very hard for people to refer you to people if they can't clearly articulate what it is that you do and why you're so great. Because otherwise, Mm -hmm. all they have is their own personal experience, which could be great. Like if somebody's in exactly the same position as them looking for exactly the same thing. But more often than not, especially in the service businesses world, that you want them to be able to refer people who might have a slightly different need than them. So to be able to make sure that you've articulated your story and you've intertwined it with theirs in a way to where they not only have internalized it, but also can externalize it to other people to refer you like that's the secret. That's how you're going to start getting those reviews and those referrals is by not only making their lives better, but making sure that they know how to, you know, reciprocate by bringing new people into the fold. Tell us what is next for you, Brittany. So I'm really excited. I'm working on my first book. So um, I've got a free ebook that's available for download on my website that people can check out. But um, my full length book will be hitting shelves, hopefully late 2020 or early 2021. And I'm very excited about that. Oh, that is awesome. Where can people find you, Brittany? Uh, people can find me on my website, which is Brittanyhodak.com. It's Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, Hodak, H-O-D-A-K. And I'm also at Brittany Hodak on all the socials. So if you want to hit me up there, go for it. Okay, this was awesome. This was so
0: fun. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at TheAprilGarcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.